0: If you will go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11, uh, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, that's in the New Testament. Uh, I like to remember it uh, after you get past the Gospels, after you get past Romans and the Corinthian letters, uh, the G.E. Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you find one of those three uh, books, you can find Philippians as well, G.E. Power Company, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And as you're turning there, I want to share sort of where my heart, my mind went into this because I actually had a different passage that I was going to preach on this week. In fact, I told uh, my buddy Thomas over there uh, Sunday night that I was going to be preaching out of Matthew 21. That's a very traditional uh, triumphal entry Palm Sunday passage. And, but where I've been in my own personal time the past several months, uh, really at, uh, almost after my ordination, has been in this mindset of that we serve a knowable God. I know that seems very um, uh, elementary there, but we serve a knowable God. We don't serve a far-off deity. We don't serve a God who is not unaware of our plights or our struggles. We serve a God who knows our pains and our sorrows. We serve a God who knows our joys. And so where I've been uh, uh, through that is uh, God has also allowed me to experience a lot of life in that process, right? Uh, Generally, when life hits hard, that's when you want to remind yourself of who God is, and you want to remind yourself that there is a God who knows your pains. And so be it either the joys of homeownership, as uh, Kenny Davis can testify back there with Melanie and I, we've had some fun there, or the fact that my Jeep wants to die every other week, as Eddie can testify. Um, I've had to remind myself either also through health issues and and things like that, that I have a God who walks through these valleys with me. And for God to be a knowable God, he first had to come as our Savior. He first had to come and live the life that we couldn't live and then die the death that was meant for us. And I can't think of a better hymn for us as a church than to look at this morning is Philippians 2, 5-11. In this passage, it speaks about who Christ is. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful hymn. It's one of the early hymns of the church. That's why Paul is reciting it to the Philippians, reminding them of who Christ is, that he is our Emmanuel, God with us. And so, if you will, if you'll stand with me at the reading of God's word this morning, God's holy, infallible, all sufficient word, as I read uh, Philippians 2 5 through 11. Paul writes this to the church in Philippi He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you pray with me? Father, I am inadequate this morning to rightfully declare the beauty of this passage. Lord, as it speaks of who you are as it speaks of the incarnation, as it speaks to the wonderful mystery that our God is both fully man and both fully God. I don't fully understand this, but Lord, I am grateful that, Lord, you can speak into our issues, you can speak into our pains because you became our Savior. So, Father, I pray in these next few moments, Lord, that your Spirit would do a work that I cannot do, and that, Lord, you would move hearts and minds to celebrate and to rejoice in the glorious nature of the gospel. That, Lord, we would leave here not with information, but we would leave, leave here with exultation as we praise the one who is worthy of all praise to the glory of God the Father. It is in his name, in Jesus' name, I pray and ask all of this in Christ. Amen. Amen. I love how one commentator, uh, speaking of this passage, wrote that Philippians 2, 5-11 through is one of the most amazing passages of the Bible. He says that we are on holy ground here in the, in the text that Paul writes here, this beautiful uh, hymn of the church. It says that this text is both doctrinal and ethical in nature. It emphasizes the stunning humility of our Lord Jesus, who became a servant and died on behalf of sinners to the glory of God. You see, church, this is amazing truth, that our God, our God who is mighty in power, whose very words speak galaxies into existence, whose very word speaks and holds the molecules of your body right now. If God willed it so, our bodies would just be gone like that. But our God holds it by his word and by his command. I don't know if you saw uh, the news earlier this week. Scientists have finally captured a, hole, a, a photo of a black hole. Our God walks through the black holes. That is how immense our God is, that he spoke all things into existence and he holds us together by his command and for his glory. It is that God who stepped into time and space and took on the form of a servant so that we may know him. Let's look back at the text this morning. I want us to consider that Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior is the God who stepped into our lives. He is the God who stepped into our lives. Look back with me at verses 6 through 7 in your Bibles this morning, and we'll see. Paul writes, who, speaking of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Before we dive too deep into this passage, first and foremost, church, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is God. I know that seems very elementary. Dave, come on now. We all know that, but we need to we need to dwell in this truth that Jesus is God. You see, Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's not just a great philosopher. He's not just a great miracle maker. He's not just some some guy who can do a trick at a party by turning water into wine and raise the dead. No, Jesus is God. In fact, Paul would write to the church in Colossians and say this, he says that of Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers, excuse me, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for him. John writing in his gospel, he opens up by talking back to what we heard in Genesis 1, that Genesis 1 says in the beginning, John opens up his gospel and says of Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. Pay close attention to that. The word was God. Make no mistake. Jesus is God. When you have someone come knock on your door and they and they tell you that Jesus was a god. No, tell them. No, our God is not a created being. He's not some lesser deity. He's not some created thing by man. No, our God is God. There is no question about that in the scriptures. Jesus even speaks of his own divinity. In John 10:30, he says, "I and the Father are one." Jesus himself tells the people around him saying, I and God, we are the same substance. There is no mistake for who I am and who God is. I and the Father are one. The famous Nicene Creed declares Christ's divinity in stating this. He says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds. And it says this, God of God, light of light. Very God of very God, begotten, not made, being in one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Church, you don't have to understand it. Trust me, I, I, don't, have, I don't have all the answers. I have apologetic books on my bookshelf. I have commentators. I, I listen to podcasts. I read as much as I can. I don't fully understand this truth, but I accept it by faith. Jesus is God. He is both fully human and both fully God in, his, in this aspect. It is a union that I can't understand, but it is something that we need to understand and grasp because if Jesus is not fully God, then he is not the God who steps into our lives. He's just some created being. He's some lesser deity. It's like the old Greek mythology where Zeus would come down from Mount Olympus. That's not God. We serve a God who steps into time and space so that when pain happens, when life happens hard, when struggles occur in your life and you don't know where to turn to, when the finances are drying up, when you get the cancer report, when you find out that, that this is happening in your family over here or your loved one has died, when your wife and your, and your husband, you just continue to argue or whatnot, Jesus is God. He can step into these problems. This is the God that we serve. Our God didn't just create the world and spin it like a top and then back away from it. No, our God steps into our reality. He steps into our pain. Because not only is Jesus fully God, like I said, he is fully human. And Paul makes this point very clear when he says that in the text that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That word form there doesn't speak, when Paul says that word form, it doesn't speak of the external appearance or the outward shape of the essential attributes and in the inner nature of Christ. Basically what Paul's saying there, when that form there, he's saying, don't think of it as the exterior appearance of what it is. Like you can see my form, I'm wearing a blue tie and a blue shirt. He's talking about the inner nature of who Christ is. You couldn't take away his divinity. When Jesus stepped into time and space, you couldn't take away his divinity from him. And that's what Paul is saying. He is saying exactly what the Niceneans was a centuries later. That Christ is the same substance as the Father. I like, um, uh, some of you know this, I love the, uh, the Christian comedian Mark Lowry. Uh, that is a guy that I cut my teeth on growing up. Uh, in fact, I had all of his albums. Uh, if you don't know who Mark Lowry is, that is a great YouTube, okay? Um, just, uh, go and, uh, that's your homework, church. After, after we say amen, don't YouTube it now. But, uh, YouTube it when you get home later after church and after dinner and watch Mark Lowry. But there's this great monologue that he does in the album on Broadway, Right before he sings Mary, did you know, he's talking about this incarnation to the people. He's talking about who Christ is. And he says that he and his father would debate whether or not uh, Jesus knew who he was the second that he was conceived, right? You know, there's, there's that, it's like that age-old question. It's like, how many angels can dance on the, on the needle of a head or something like that? And so Mark's dad believed that Jesus knew who he was the second that he was conceived. And Mark just goes, I don't think so. And I tend to agree with Mark because then there's this, this thing that he says, he says that if Jesus knew who he was the second that he was conceived, then he was faking all those diaper changes. <laughs> because when our God came to earth, when he, when he came and took on the form of servant, as Paul says there in the text in verse 6, our God wrapped himself in flesh, became one of us so that we could know him. Meaning that Mary had to teach God how to walk. Mary had to teach God how to, how to talk and walk. And Mary had to show God who he was. Jesus had to learn the scriptures. Jesus had to learn how it was to be a man in that time period. The scripture says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Don't make the mistake that Jesus did, had all the answers. You know, there's that, it's like that age old uh, thing that, you know, you didn't want to have Jesus as a classmate because Jesus knew all the answers already. No, Jesus had to learn 2 plus 2 just like you, you and I did. But he did it all without sinning. And that's something that we can't miss here. And that in his full divinity and full humanity, Jesus did all of this without sinning. And that's why he can be God with us. That's why he can be Emmanuel. The fact that Christ stepped into our lives means that he understands our pains, and our fears, and our joys. And he lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived a sinless life. That when life hit hard, he didn't get angry and get frustrated and start to curse a mountain up. He did all of this life that we do, yet he did so without sin. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Church, let that be an encouragement to you. That means that Christ knows what it's like to be human. Earlier this week, uh, Melanie and I were uh, sick as dogs on two respected couches. We had uh, the joy of having the stomach flu. Uh, Some of you guys know what that's like. And so as I was laying on the couch, I was literally just thinking about the fact that we serve a God who understands what I'm feeling right now. You know, I used to think uh, that if, if Christ got a sore throat growing up, he could just snap his fingers right and heal it, right? And I thought that would take away from the fact that he then wouldn't know what that pain is like. Church, Christ understands our struggles and our pains. He is the God who steps into our lives. And that should be such comfort to us. As I've already stated, when life hits hard, you're not walking this life alone. You're walking it with a God who walks through it with you. And that should be a source of comfort to you. But not only is Christ the God who steps into our lives, but He's also our God who is our Passover Lamb. He is our God who is our Passover Lamb. As I said before, Christ did all of this without sin, and so he lived the life that we couldn't live, and then he died the death that was meant for us. He took on our penalty that our sin deserves, which is death. Let's continue, uh, look back at the text with me at verse 8, and we'll see what, what Paul is saying here about God, who is our Passover lamb. He says, "...and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." You see, Jesus didn't become our Messiah or Savior just by living a sinless life. That was only one part of it. He also had to become our salvation and by becoming the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Before we dive into this truth, I want to just make a level playing field here. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done things that displease the holiness and the purity of our God. Be it by our actions, both uh, knowingly and unknowingly, by our words, by our deeds. Anytime that we choose God, or excuse me, choose sin over God. Any time that we choose to, to uh, uh, get angry in a, in a moment of frustration. Anytime we choose language that is unholy and unrighteous. Anytime that we choose to look at things on the internet that is immoral, immoral and impure. Any time that we choose to go after the things that we want versus what's honoring to God. That is sin. And that sin is a cosmic treason against the holiness and the purity of our God. See, God is both holy and pure and righteous. And so our sin deserves a punishment, a penalty. And God doesn't just wink at our sin. No, our sin is so immoral and so impure to Him that death is the only response for our penalty. And so that's something that we can't, we can't, pay off right there's nothing in us that we can that we can somehow attain salvation there's nothing that we can work for there's nothing that we can do we can't we can't uh try to live just one sinless day no there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation church there's nothing that we can do to somehow make god happy with us because isaiah writes that even our best deeds the best things that we can do are but filthy rags to our god And so because that we deserve judgment, because we deserve the penalty of our sin, our holy God did what only he could do. He stepped into our place for us. And he took the penalty and the full weight of our sin. That is why we need Jesus. You see, only Christ can do what we cannot. Because he is both fully God and both fully man means that he can accomplish what we cannot. And so God, in his great love for us, made the way back to him through Christ, our Passover lamb. That word I'm using there, that Passover lamb, speaks all the way back to the book of Exodus. You remember with me, uh, some of you may have even seen the Charlton Heston movie, where God instructs Moses to um, take a spotless lamb and take its blood and paint the doorpost of the house. And so when the angel of the Lord would come and enact final judgment on Egypt in that last plague, he would see the blood and then pass over that house. That's where we get this term Passover lamb. Passover lamb. So that when Christ took our place on the cross and when we accept him and we, when we trust him as our savior, judgment passes over us. And that is what we, why we need Christ. In an act of love He that has never been rivaled, Christ became our Passover lamb. He took on our cross. He took on our shame. He took our sin. He did all this so that we would not face an ounce or a drop of judgment The prophet Isaiah writes, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you see any in that language there that says, I have earned my own salvation? that you can somehow earn your own salvation. No, Christ did all that was necessary for us. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on our sin. All the things that you don't want anyone to know about, all the skeletons in your closet that you are ashamed of, all the shame and the guilt that you carry with yourself each and every day, Christ took that on the cross. Isaiah continues and he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Again, the writer of Hebrews declares, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the shedding of blood had to come from a pure, spotless lamb. And so Paul writes that Christ was obedient to the will of the Father. He was obedient to the will of the Father. And humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's almost as if Paul is just hammering home the kind of death that Christ was issued, that of crucifixion. The Romans had perfected this punishment. The Romans had perfected this type of torture. They had learned how to make one suffer excruciating pain as they hung on the cross. You see, you didn't die on the cross because of the nails that were pierced into your hands or going into your feet. You died of suffocation. As Christ, or as anyone on the cross hung there, they were trying to reach for their next breath. Breath after breath. It was torture. And the Romans had learned how to make one last for days in that manner. Crucifixion was the most vilest of deaths I think that mankind has ever come up with. And that was the death that Christ suffered on our behalf. You see, Roman citizens were not allowed to be executed in this way. They, Romans deemed it too gruesome. And the Jews believed that a person cursed if they died on, the, died on a tree, Galatians 3.13. The cross was total embarrassment. You guys have seen the the, the movies, uh, Passion of the Christ, uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, all those movies. They always have a loincloth on the person who was crucified. That wasn't the case. You were naked for all the world to see in your torture and in your shame. Christ took our place on that cross. That is what our sin deserved. Our sin, our cosmic treason against the holy God, that is what our sin deserves. And so Paul speaks of this, and he says in Philippians 3.18 that some live as enemies of the cross, and yet Jesus, the preexistent one, the Lord of glory, the ancient of days, the Alpha and the Omega, died on a cross for sinners and endured the physical agony of the cross, the abandonment and the shame and receive the full wrath of God in the place of sinners. You want to know why I can say that you can feel abandoned yet not fully abandoned? It's because Christ was fully abandoned on that cross. The Bible says that darkness covered the land that day. And that the sin that he had imputed on Christ, he had to turn his back on. In that moment, Jesus, who had knew, knew the relationship, knew the, the unity with the Father and the Spirit for the first time, was fully abandoned. That's why I can say, you may feel abandoned, but Christ was abandoned on for us so that we would never be abandoned. Christ would say, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why? Because of what he went through at the cross for us. And this is a beautiful joy of the Christian life that Jesus took on the full wrath of God that our sin deserves. I know this is not something that we like to talk about or we like to think about, but we need to just dwell in this moment for just a minute and allow the Spirit of God to knead this into our hearts of what our sin deserves. If I could just snap my fingers right now, and, I, and this, if we can just imagine that all of us at the Hoover Dam, and look at the, at the concrete monument that that is. It holds back such immense power, does it not? And yet, we're looking at this beautiful creation created during the, the Great Depression, and here it is, and we're looking at it, and we see a crack in the cement. Now, that's not probably good, right? And then that cement crack just gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and we're thinking, oh my. And then all of the water that that cement is holding back just comes bursting forth like that. There's nowhere for us to run. We are sitting ducks, literally. But then in an immense moment, Jesus himself comes and stands between us and the great tidal wave of the water that's going to come and swallow us. And Jesus absorbs in his body every ounce of that water. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. He took every ounce of the wrath of God that our sin deserves into himself so that we would not taste a drop of it. Christ is our Passover lamb who takes away our sins. You see, we got his position of favor while he got our penalty of condemnation. We traded places, the great exchange, as Martin Luther says. This is the beautiful nature of the cross. And I love the story of our Savior does not end in his death, but rather three days later he conquers sin, hell, and the grave by rising again three days later. We sung a song this past Sunday at the nursing home, and it has been in my head since we sung it, Brother Larry. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. What a beautiful hymn, church. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God who we can find his bones buried somewhere out in the desert. No, our God lives and he reigns. And because he lives, because we know that he's alive, because he sits at the right hand of the Father, because he has done the work that only he could do, because he said, It is finished at that cross we can face the uncertainty of tomorrow because our god goes before us and our god is with us even in the pain of life even in the highest joys of life our god is with us ephesians 2 paints a beautiful picture of this does it not you don't have to turn there for time but i just want to want to summarize the first four verses paul paints this beautiful picture of what we were like before the grace of God. He says that we were dead in our trespasses. I, I, I tell the students sometimes, I say, define to me what dead is. And they tell me, well, it's, it's no breath, no life. That's exactly what we were in our sin. We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our trespasses. He even says that we were, um, we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But I love verse 4. Paul says, but God, there has never been a more beautiful term than that, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He goes on to say in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Again, church, we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do. We can't live a good good enough life. We can't help enough old ladies across the street. We need Christ and Christ alone. We need Christ. Because our plight was so real, our condition so fatal. And Christ went to great lengths to redeem and to save us. Let me get practical this morning. If you're in this room and you claim that gospel, if you believe that gospel, That should change the way that we live. That should change the way that we talk. That should change the way that we look at people. That should change the way that what we watch, what we talk about, what we engage in. Because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price that is far greater and far richer than anything this world has to offer. And so that means that our life is not our own, but we are a bondservant for Christ. That means that our life is... Is meant for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to do as as he sees fit. That means that we look at those in in Metter and in Cobtown and in Statesboro and all over the place. And we look and see a world that is dying and going to a sinner's hell and saying, I know the way to grace. I know the way to peace. And we tell others about it. Let that rest in your heart this morning, that if you claim Christ, if you believe who he is, then church, we should be a church on fire and mission and in desire for the lost to come to know who this God is. We should not be in, in, in the thrones of Instagram or, or Pinterest or whatever. We should be in this word and wanting to tell with others about who Christ is, because that is far greater and far more important than anything this life has at it. If, it does not, if the gospel does not excite you in that way, if the gospel does not move you to tears for the lost, then I would just challenge you this morning and ask you to check your heart. God can save and still redeem. There is mercy at the cross for all who are lost. There is mercy so immense and so great. But the gospel should excite us. This, ma- this message of hope should change the way that we live. Finally, this morning, because he lives, Jesus is worthy of all all praise. Jesus, our Messiah, is the God who is to be praised forever. Let's look back at the text in verses 9 through 11, and we'll see this. Paul writes, therefore, that therefore is therefore important. Paul is saying that because of the obedience of Christ, from taking on the form of man to enduring the agony of the cross, because of all that Christ has done, because of what Christ has accomplished, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So to the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in response to Christ's universal lordship, everyone, everyone will bow down and confess who Christ is. Paul connects this text all the way to Isaiah 45 where it said that all will bow down to Yahweh. So Paul says all will bow down to Christ and confess that he is Lord, that he is God. And God bestowed on Christ the name Lord. God declared the deity of Jesus. We should look at that that term Lord and see it just as we see it in our Old Testament Bible. Whenever you see in the Old Testament, Lord capitalized, that is Yahweh. Paul writing the Greek Greek is saying that Jesus is Yahweh. And he's saying that is his name. That is his highly exalted name. And that is why he is to be praised forever. The phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, is probably one of the earliest Christian confessions. And it's one that we continue to do week after week at Cedar Street. Do we not? When we read the Apostles' Creed, we are saying who Christ is. Don't let those words just gloss over you. Don't let those words become white noise. Let those words be the prayer of your own heart as you recall to mind who our God is and declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just as they did in the early church, so we do today. We confess that in the Apostles' Creed and we do all of that to the glory of God the Father. Paul writes that everyone will bow down and that includes those in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. I like Paul's humor here. He's basically covering all of his bases. Wherever a person could be, all people will declare who God is. Some will confess that with great joy. Some will confess that with great adoration. And will sing with the saints, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who, who took on our sins. And all will bow down to this God and praise him forever, and say, He is the God of heaven and the God of earth, and he is worthy of all praise. There will some that day that will say that. There are others, though, that will say that will will declare his Lordship in despair and anguish. Those evil in nature will see the true God and ruler of the universe, and will down will bow down before God. To confess, Lord to confess Jesus as Lord in the first century basically meant that a person was saying that Caesar was not Lord. That was big. To confess that Jesus is Lord and saying that Caesar is not meant death at that time. We've all heard the stories of the martyrs, of those who gave their life in the first century, those who gave their life in the second century, in the third and fourth There's a great book called uh, Jesus Freaks by DC Talk. I encourage anyone to go get that. And it speaks of the martyrs of our faith. It speaks of those who have gone on before and declared that Christ is Lord even in the face of persecution. But to to declare Jesus as Lord in the first century was a death sentence. I can just get really real for a second. Do we carry that weight in the 21st century? We don't face a lot of persecution in Meadow, Georgia. We're here by freedom. But what we do need to consider is this. When we declare that Jesus is Lord, when we declare that Christ is who He says He is, that He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that He is the God who spoke into this world and is the God who redeemed, us and, redeemed and bought back His people, again, that should change our life. Again, that should change the way that we live. That should change our priorities. That should change the way that we talk and act to people that should change the way that we look at a world that is lost and dying and going to a sinner's hell. Because if we declare that Jesus is Lord, that means our life is not our own. That means that we are a bond servant, we're a slave, we're a servant of the Most High God. And this could look like some of our students when they graduate high school or when they graduate college and go out into the mission field, go out into areas where the gospel has never been heard, Go out in the areas of this country, like in Salt Lake City, where 98% don't know who Christ is. And go out into that mission field and declare who Christ is. That could look like business leaders leveraging, leveraging their company and their finances for the sake of the gospel. That could look like moms who stay at home and teach their children the glorious, the glorious nature of who Christ is. That could look like fathers showing their sons what it looks like to be a man of God by showing what it looks like to pray and to read the Word. Church, don't let the the only time your children see you open your Word is here in this building. We need to model for our children and for our friends and our family our love for the Lord by opening this book day in and day out and reading and praying and seeking because we understand if Jesus is Lord, then our lives are not our own, but our lives are meant for his glory and his honor. There's an old hymn I like to sing to myself because I have to remind myself of this daily. I don't want you to think that I have it all together just because I'm a little bit taller than you guys right now. Bo and myself, we put our pants on the same way as y'all and we struggle with sin just as much as y'all and we need to remind ourselves of who Christ is And so to do that, I like to sing to to myself the hymn, I Surrender All. And I remind myself daily, daily I surrender all to Christ, all to Jesus I owe. All to Him I freely give. All for the glory of the Father, I surrender my life to Christ. You see, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is a hymn. It's an early hymn of the story of the gospel. And it is beautifully reminding us that all of this, all that Christ did was for the glory of the Father. All of it was for the glory of the Father. That is what the, at the heart is of Christ, is He wants to make much of His Father. Where is your heart this morning? Where is my heart this morning? Is everything I do, is everything I try to do, is it for the glory of God or is it for the glory of myself? Is it, do you do things for the glory of yourself? We need to surrender our hearts and our minds and remind ourselves Of what Christ did. Go back and look at verse 5 with me for a second. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you notice the language there? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he speaks of the humility of Christ and of the obedience of Christ. Christ is our model church. How Christ lived, how Christ functioned, that is how we live all in perfect, humble obedience, all to the glory of the Father. So as we close this morning, church, do you believe in this passage? I'm not saying, yeah, I believe in it, Dave, and then five minutes later when I get on the road and someone cuts me off, I cuss up a storm. No, do you believe in this passage, and does it change your life? Does it change the way that you live? Does the story of the gospel incite you to action and want you to share with others what our amazing God did for us at Calvary? that he took on our sin, that he took on our wrath, that he took on our penalty so that we would not taste a drop of it if that does not excite you. And I would just ask, check your heart this morning. You see, Christ lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that was meant for us. And that story should spur us on to share with others who are lost and dying. Others of you in this morning, you don't even know who Christ is. I'm going to be down front, but we'll be down front. Deacons will be down. And we will talk to you as long as it takes. And we will share, with, share the glorious nature of who Christ is because it, it is a wonderful story. Today is Palm Sunday. And we remember that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. He didn't come on a horse. You see the assemblage there in that culture. A donkey meant peace. A horse meant war. Jesus in his first coming came on a donkey so that he could redeem that which is lost. There will come a day when a horse will come and split through the eastern sky. Do you know Christ this morning? And then what do you do with this Christ? Let's pray. We'll enter in a time of invitation. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this passage. Lord, for the beautiful nature of this hymn that speaks of your great divinity and of your great humanity. That you are the God who steps into our lives. Who is aware of our plights and our struggles. Who loves us with a love that is deeper than I was able even to articulate this morning. Father, I pray that for those in this room that know you and love your word, I pray that, Lord, you, they would just be encouraged in, a room, in the reminder of what the, you did for them at Calvary. That, Lord, they would leave here worshiping, knowing that their sins have been forgiven and, may, and the penalty... Paid in full by what you did. Lord, for those who don't know you this morning, Lord, I pray that they would wrestle with who you are. And I pray that you would draw them to yourself as only you can do. I pray as we sing, you would do a work that only you can do. In Christ's name, amen.